All right. Uh, doesn't look like too many people left. That's good. Um, so uh, what did I want to say? I wanted to say something. Uh, something, something, something. Oh, uh, supposedly, like next month, the, the uh, building across the road is supposed to open. It doesn't look like it's going to open next month, but Romy and I are very skeptical. But um, I've actually... Uh, they've been in touch with the teachers and I, and I might put on some other events over there like we're talking about doing like a three-day non-residential retreat there in one of the smaller rooms. They have a room for 30. So I proposed to, uh, a weekend to go through the steps and like do take my workbook and go through it together and that would be fun. So it's great. They'll have more spaces over there and it's going to be beautiful and you know, it's just funny that this, this building's been here for I think over 20 years, uh, uh, way over 20 years, because I remember coming here in like 91 or 92. And I'm sure it was never meant <laughs> to be here for that long. You know, it's amazing. And and as, you know, as funky as it is, it's it's served its purpose. There's been a lot of great stuff that's happened in this room, in this building over the last decades. I've heard a lot of great teachings in here and you know, it's got a certain energy is soaked into those, whatever those things, stuff is. <laughs> Ceiling, plastic towel. It's all transformed into enlightened material. So we'll kind of miss it for about five minutes and then. So I did, I brought some of my workbooks tonight. I'm sure many of you saw that. I, that's. Not available in bookstores. It's only available online or from me because it's self-published. So, um, and I sell it for ten dollars, which is an incredible bargain um, for the amount of just you know junk that's in there, stuff that's the the pain that I put put into it. Oh, yeah. go through it alone. You too will. No, 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 it's, it's all good, you know. Uh, so, step four, you know, I was thinking about step four today because it's my job. Uh, uh, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory. And so I, I found myself kind of focusing on the word fearless. Um, and uh, the connection I'm going to make tonight is with uh, a Buddhist teaching on uh, on working with fear. So there's a famous story about some monks who uh, went off into a forest to meditate, to kind of go on a retreat, do some intensive meditation practice. This forest was inhabited by... Uh, they call it, well, different ways of naming them, but they're like tree fairies or deities, tree deities. But I think fairies is better because uh, um, it kind of sounds Irish. And I, I, you know, I think that makes sense to me. I get that. You know, you got leprechauns in the trees. So, th- and they didn't want these people coming into their space. It was like, you know, this is our place. So they spooked the the monks. You know, they as 
you know, those kind of beings that are in the trees, they, they can spook you. I mean, did you ever go out and sit in a forest at night? I avoid that kind of stuff, but I know certain people like to, <laughs> like to go camping. You know. you know, people talk about, oh, nature, it's so, so quiet and peaceful. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Especially if the wind is blowing or if there's some, like, animals out there. Okay, I won't digress, but there's another... St- there was a st- okay, well, I'll tell you this. Two little stories. One was Ajahn Pasano, who's a Buddhist monk, he comes and teaches here. He's at the abbot of Abhayagiri Monastery up in Ukiah. He was doing a retreat like this. He was meditating like that in the forest in Thailand. And he was doing walking meditation. And he realized that there was a tiger in the woods, in the forest, or, uh, like stalking him. And he was just, you know, he was just in this little space walk. And I, was like, and I, and I asked him, how, how did you know that there was a tiger there? He said, I could smell it. Oh, God. So anyway, but these weren't even tigers. This is just uh, fairies. <laughs> anyway. The, the monks all get spooked, you know, and, uh, and so they go back to the Buddha. Uh, boss, you know, blessed one, Lord, whatever they called him. You know, what, what, we can't meditate there. This, we're getting freaked out by these. There's some kind of, you know, fairies out there that are uh, tormenting us. So he says, this is what you should do. Here's a practice, and then he teaches them loving kindness meditation. So the the loving kindness sutta that says this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. And then he gets to the heart of the matter. He says, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another, nor wish harm on any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. Having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, the pure-hearted one is not born again into this world. So he said, do this practice. Radiate loving kindness to these trees, spirits. So the, so the monks went back and did this. And the tree fairies loved it. They were like, oh, all this good stuff. Because they're very sensitive, you know. They're, that's why they didn't like these guys coming in. They, weren't, they probably weren't having, they were probably having 
you know, very negative meditation. So once they got the loving kindness going, they welcomed them, the spirits. And then they, uh, the, there's a story that says that the, these fairies then manifested into human bodies and, and actually fed and took care of the monks while they meditated in the forest. But I've always taken that to be really about overcoming fear. And, you know, the, the spirits, the fairies, those are just our fears, you know. It's the, they're not really there. You, know, you just go outside and you're like, oh, oh man, you know, you, you get scared, scared of the dark. <laughs> you know, it's a very primal fear, the nighttime. And so the Buddha said, to overcome that fear, what you need to do is radiate love. Well, that's an interesting connection there, right? You know... What, what does fear trigger in us most of the time? Typically it triggers, besides more fear, it triggers anger, right? uh, fight or flight. So we either kind of, get, when we get angry, we get defensive you know, and fight, or else we just shut down, like, uh, I don't want to hear it. You know, so coming back to step four, what, why does step four say we need to make a searching and fearless moral inventory? Why does it have to be fearless? Well, what are we afraid of when we're doing step four? We're afraid of seeing ourselves in a, the harsh light of truth. We're afraid of seeing our own failings. And why is that a problem? Or from a Buddhist viewpoint, that's a problem because we're identifying with self. We're attached to self. So we feel we have to protect self. So we're afraid of it. We're afraid of seeing this pain. So, or, or this, these negative qualities, these unskillful qualities, this inventory. So, you know, when it talks about Uh, Just to connect that point about self, when the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about step three, it talks about the self. I believe that's where it it has that line about the problem, self-centeredness was the problem. It talks about, that's where it talks about wanting to be the director and controlling the show, right? So that's about self. It's about ego. It's about being in control. And this letting go of ego is about letting go of control. And what happens when we let go of control is fear comes up. So two things here. One is love (laughs) to counter that fear. So what, where does the love need to go? It needs to go to us, right? In order to do this inventory, if we go into this inventory with already in self-hatred, we're, we, it's, gonna, it's not really going to be possible. You know, and I think that 
the, I mean, we know a lot of what the steps are about is about undermining ego, but, you know, <laughs> not, I, 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 I think it's important that's not a destructive undermining. It's more like the Buddhist view of deconstructing ego and seeing how my clinging to it causes me suffering. Right? So, you know, step three is the beginning of letting go of that control. And then in step four, we're going to really be confronted with something that's very threatening to the ego. So we really need to come, there needs to be this compassion and love as well as, uh, you know, the insight into the, the insubstantial nature of self. In other words, it's really just a creation. There isn't something to protect in the first place, much like the tree spirits, they're not really there. We created them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ego that we're trying to protect is something we just build up. I'm this. I'm that. I need to be like this. I need to be seen this way. If people know this about me, or if I even admit this to myself, it's going to be unacceptable. It's, it's, I'm, it's all going to fall apart. You know, I'm going to go crazy. Whatever your fear is. you know. So... To to you know to come to that clarity to, to make that searching and fearless moral inventory, there needs to be both this this love and compassion for this you know partly just compassion for that little self that is the ego you know to like oh it's okay you'll be okay and partly this deconstruction of it to see that it's really. It's not worth holding on to. There isn't something really there. I, I had that. I feel like I had the biggest breakthrough in that regard around step nine. But it's it starts in step four when we start this this process step four of four through nine, which I think of as really kind of the center of the of the steps and the and the real uh, grit work that we do in the steps. But I can remember getting to a point where I realized I really wasn't worried about what people thought of me quite the same way I always had been. That I, I wasn't afraid to be wrong. Like I particularly noticed it when I had a job, which was different too. <laughs> you know, I was three years sober and I had this office job. And I wasn't trying to cover my ass all the time, you know. If I didn't know something, I wasn't afraid to ask. It was weird, you know, the things that I never would have done in the past. Asking for help, you know, admitting you don't know something, or I made a mistake, and going, oh, like, I, I messed this up, or, you know, uh, just amazingly freeing, you know. Those are those things you don't realize they've changed in you. And I was like three years sober, I guess I said that. So, so that's you kind of realize something has happened and you but and you don't even see where and how it happened and it's only been in reflecting back on that process that i've realized that it, that that's that's when it happened and it happened through this step process uh, so it's interesting to think of of loving kindness as a as the antidote to fear. Um, because most of us, 
you know, we deal with a certain amount of anxiety, some of us more, some of us less. And anxiety is a, a type of fear. Uh, and to think, I mean, I, I guess, what, what do we think of as the solutions to anxiety besides, you know, drugs and alcohol? Um, meditate, maybe. Uh, what? Prayer. Prayer, yeah. Go to a meeting, call somebody. Uh, exercise. People use exercise to kind of call, you know, to get. But to to um, to start to do loving kindness for yourself in in a state of anxiety. I think what happens. One of the things that immediately happens when you say, "May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be safe." Is that your relationship? to yourself changes in that moment. Because even if you don't think about it, there's an inner knowing that somebody is talking to somebody. And you don't want to think about that too much, although it can be a good... It's, def, it's definitely a, a, a route to insight. But what you realize when you, when you say those words is that there's a part of me that's already okay. There's a part of me that can take care of the part of me that doesn't feel safe or that feels fearful. And so just by saying those words, you're shifting perspective from, oh, I'm in this, to, oh, I'm, I'm sort of outside this, and I'm, I'm speaking to this, I'm, it's, it's very much like the idea of the inner child, which isn't really popular like it was back in the day. But uh, that feeling that there's this kind of scared part of us, but that there's also this adult that can talk to that um, and hold that. So that's about all I have, which really means we've still got time for something else. Um, Yeah. One of the comments that I um, really appreciated and related to the how you said the, the fear versus love, just like in the twelve steps, is you can't have fear without faith. Yeah. I like that comparison. Yes. Good. Thank you. So, Kevin, um, I think there's really good other good news as well, and that is I remember when I had to start working the steps. You know, Bill and Bob set up Alcoholics Anonymous where you really, it was a place where you could go to where you really didn't have to do things alone. Mm. Right. We got together with my sponsor and said, oh, now we have to work the steps. You know, why is it? He said, no, Kevin, you know, two bad brains working on this are better than one. Mm. So let's, so let's go and do this thing. Um, um, I, I, just, I just have something else to say about my recovery, and that's I remember when I first ran into the rooms, I went, safe, I'm in the chair, no problem. And I sat there for two years. I said, as long as I don't drink, it's got to be cool. And it was cool for a while. And then um, then I decided that something happened and I had to go out there again. (laughs) When I came back, I looked at the steps and I said, wow, where were you when you thought it was a good idea to go out there? (laughs) And I I hadn't worked the fourth step. Mm -hmm. So... 
so that's all. I mean, yeah. I mean, as you say, getting to that, you know, getting to getting to find out what part Jeffrey's playing in life. That that last column, you know, what part I played. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so important, so important, Kevin, because it's so important to me because I'm going to shoot the arc long to go out of this lifetime clean and sober. And it's so important to me to know that there's a possibility that I'll remember this part of my life hmm. as something that I can you know, do. I mean, I see what you've chosen yeah. to do. You know, write some books on recovery and teach praying and meditation. That's a good choice. It's a great choice. That's not not, you know, that wasn't part of the founding fathers' ideas that we were going to be, you know, you know, having, you know, these ideas about bringing in Buddhism and mingling. It was what even the Dalai Lama said, and 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 Tenzin Gatso said this. He said the most important group of functioning people that I've seen in the West is is Alcoholics Anonymous mm-hmm. or these these recovery programs. Yeah. He's most impressed with them. That's all. I just, you know, it's just great to come to a four-step. So, yeah, let me let me just spin out a little bit here. And we'll catch. Up. Um, that actually, Doctor Bob was aware of Buddhism, and actually, the, the, there's a some pamphlets, the Akron pamphlets, uh-huh. that they were written by a member of the Akron group uh-huh. that, went, that you know, Bob asked him to write it. And it, 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 one of the pamphlets is called Spiritual Dimensions of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it, go, and it talks about a variety of different religions and that, that it starts out by saying Alcoholics Anonymous isn't a Christian organization. And then it talks about Islam, Judaism, and Buddhism, and it lists the Eightfold Path and says that this could be an addition to or a substitute for the Twelve Steps. Which, and it was written sometime in like the early 40s. It sort of blew my mind when I found it. I, I reference it, I think, in my latest book. But the other thing I was going to say is that about the step and about meditation is that I really think of one of the functions particularly of mindfulness meditation, is a real-time inventory. You know, that when we're sitting, we're watching our minds, it's an inventory in and of itself. It's, it's you know, I'm not sitting down writing it down, but I'm watching my mind. I'm seeing, seeing my mind. So I really think uh, uh, meditation, it, I don't think of it as something that's just the 11th step. You know, I think it's applicable to all 12 steps and particularly step four, because so often I'm sitting. I mean, you could say it's step 10, whatever you want to call it. But so often I'm sitting and something comes up and I realize, oh, wow, I need to deal with that. Or I just see things. I'm teaching an online course right now. And, you know, we're in like the just the end of the first week. And a lot of these people are brand new to mindfulness meditation. And several comments I saw posted today were of the nature of, wow, I never knew that I thought about this stuff so much. Well, that's like a a Buddhist inventory, right? 
my mind wanders a lot. I didn't know that until I sat down and stopped and looked. That's it's examining. It's a searching, fearless inventory of my mind. You know, not the not, and, and it's not important what the content is nearly as much as just the process to see. Wow, my mind is just off on its own trip, having its own jolly time. You know, and a lot of the time I'm being I'm getting triggered by the stuff that I don't realize I'm thinking. Uh-huh. And you mentioned getting blocked when you're riding. And I said, Sadie, what, what? I said, Jeffrey, you should just pray. And it was just great. The moment I prayed quietly, I'd pick up the pencil, and bang, I would start. You know, I'd start yeah. riding, and it would come first. And I nice. said, wow. You know, I don't know why I can't, you know, what's going on? I can't write anything. Well, have you tried praying? <clears throat> no. Okay, we'll try praying. Okay, what, what happened? Oh, I'm finished. You know, I pray a little bit, and I mm. you know, got through this yeah. resentment. Yeah. But it is about getting through things that have snagged us. Right? Yeah. Yeah. People, places, and things. What are we resentful at? Why Why are we resentful at these people? And, and, and why is that occupying so much time now? And then what part did I play? Yeah, it's a good model. Yeah, it's a great model. I just want the person behind you had her hand up. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention that I want to say thank you because I am on my fourth step. Uh-huh. And I want to say thank you to you because my sponsors do allow me to come to his house and we sit down and we're doing it together. Nice. And in my past, I had a sponsor that said, just do it. Uh-huh. And I got mind blocked. Uh-huh. Right. And I needed help. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was afraid to, well, I asked for help, but I didn't get the help. Mm. So now it's freeing that my sponsor is sitting there with me mm. and I talk about it. And... Um, what I heard you say was that I can comfort the little girl yeah. me because my fourth step is what happened in my past. Yeah. And when I've done it through NA, I didn't want to get honest about my part. So this time I'm getting honest and looking at my part and I find it to be very fun. Uh-huh. Good. Um, in, the, in the fifth column, my sponsor says, well, how would God want me to be? Uh-huh, nice. Loving and kind. Yeah. Forgiving. Yeah. And I get to feel the freedom. Yeah. Um, but I'm doing my daughter and my sister, and I mm. find myself, I've done half of them, so I put in complete, um, but um, getting caught in the fall. So I feel like I'm there. Mm-hmm. So when you said um, that child, yeah. you know, I can, I want to protect me. Yeah. I want to protect her. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt like she wanted to protect the adult. Mm-hmm. But I hear it vice versa, yeah. sitting down doing my steps. So I will ask my sponsor meditate at least five minutes because we do the prayer yeah. and everything but um, I need to make it out of that fog so I can yeah the quiet often allows things to bubble up it kind of creates the space where you know usually when I sit down to meditate at first it's like there's a lot of noise mm. but if I just don't do anything for a little while I tr- 
try to pay attention to the breath and just keep coming back. After a while, there's this kind of natural... I mean, one way of putting it is like you're saying, kind of the fog lifts and the the more what needs to come up. You know, either... Certainly, a lot of times, some intuition will come up. But also, like you're talking about, if there's something that I'm kind of trying to look at or work on, that gives me the clarity of mind to do it. So, I mean, I can, for instance, you know, when I'm on a retreat, my memory, I can go back to moments in my life when I, and I can walk through. I remember being on an early, one of my early retreats years ago where I went back to this summer vacation and this town and I was just, I was amazed. It was like I was, you know, virtual reality walking through this town. And, and it wasn't like a useful thing to do in meditation, but it helped me to realize how there's a lot of stuff in there that the meditation allows it to come through. And you can use it. You can waste it, too, by, like, you know, tripping around your summer vacation. But you can use it for, in creatively or in terms of self-examination. Because I can, you know, when you're, when you're sitting and breathing, then you can allow yourself to, it's a safer place to let those painful memories and the things that you've done that you are not happy and proud of, to let them come up and you kind of breathe Okay, yes, that's true, right? That's part of it. And so uh, I think meditation is really, really helpful in terms of doing a, a um, thorough process. You're not just like, oh yeah, I did this, I did this, but it's like, because it also takes you back to the feeling. And that's where the compassion, you know, and the, you know, allowing yourself to feel the feelings, right? <laughs> keep breathing keep breathing with the feelings yes because they come and they go so let them go yeah, thanks yeah Shane I'm getting everybody over here I'll, I'll look over here next I promise and Buddhism was through Noah and, uh, and ATS and, and uh, you know I started you know noticing even after I was sober for a few years there was still so much anxiety and so much fear that, that ruled my life and, and, and to this day oh, not the microphone <laughs> you're on dude um, so there was uh, you know even to this day there's a lot of fear and anxiety but, but what has happened through my practice is my relationship to anxiety and fear has changed and and it's kind of with the loving kindness but for me as i struggle with meta practice and loving kindness there's a you know a, still a lot of uh i notice a lot of uh lack of loving kindness in my heart but but i can usually generate some kind of awareness and uh and that's really helped with anxiety and fear um you know just bringing kind of a like a childlike uh noticing where it's at in my body, like where, where I'm feeling the, the anxiety. And, and, you know, so much of my life I've, I've 
try to push against the anxiety, like, you know, uh, demanding that I shouldn't be feeling this anxiety or fear, right. like what's wrong with me? Well, right. you know, get, get this away from me. I don't want to feel this. And which in return, it just caused like more. And, and so for me, it's, it's, you know, when that arises, it's like, it's about just some kind of awareness. And just by doing that, that relationship to the anxiety didn't go away. My heart will still be pounding, you know, kind of crawling out of my skin, I feel like, and, the, you know, a little shaky, but I can go, wow, like, look at that. Like, look, wow, see how, wow, my heart is just like pounding and, yeah. and that little kind of awareness. It's like, yeah. it, uh, it, it's just changed my relationship to it. Like I can sit with it. I don't, yeah. I don't have to change it. And, yeah. uh, it's that, that's been life changing for me. It really has. It's, yeah. it's really changed my, my recovery and my, my, my life. You know, yeah. I thought I had to get rid of fear, get rid of anxiety. And it's yeah. like, you know, Wes Nister talks about it. I mean, they're, you know, they're natural. Like I inherited this, you know, from evolution. It's, right. it's, it's not going anywhere. Right. Yep. <laughs> so anyways, I just want to uh, yeah. throw that two yeah. cents in. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Jane. Yeah. So over here we have, question about meditation and uh, awareness, I guess. Okay. Um, and, uh, I'm getting the microphone. But, uh, you know, I've learned um, a practice of meditation to start with my breath and focus on that and then um, start becoming aware of different parts of my body. And I usually start with my eyes and my jaw, like you were describing mm -hmm. um, early on. And then it tends to get stuck, but I, I'm always I'm always um, amazed at how much more of that I can continue to do in terms of relaxing different parts of my body. But there comes a point where, like, it feels like I have let go absolutely, and when that does happen, I tend to get and doesn't hasn't happened very often, but a rush of sensation um, that's like icy hot almost or adrenaline mm -hmm. feeling. Do you have any experience with that? Or do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> so, um, there are, we could call them, to some extent, side effects of meditation, although they can be utilized uh, in various ways. Um, so, uh, when the, it sounds like what you're describing is something called PT, P-I-T-I, which is translated as bliss or rapture, but it's largely a physical experience that happens when uh, the five hindrances uh, are suppressed or uh, are quieted. So when there isn't desire, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, or doubt um, happening, uh, and because it happens when you, when the, uh, in other words, the mind is is getting quiet. It's getting there's not a lot going on, but you're still very. But there's a lot of clarity, there's, which is what you're, it sounds like you're describing that. Like you're very aware, and it's it's also very overwhelming. And then so energy starts to go through the body, yeah. right? So that um, is. T I'm hesitating because it it opens up a big topic, uh, but it that energy is used as a gateway into another level of concentration, and um, some people 
actually strive to get to the place where that energy will arise. Uh, I've, it, it came to me, as it has for you, just spontaneously out of my practice. And for years, I didn't know what to do with it. It was kind of like, in a way, it was interesting, but sort of annoying after a while. But uh, it can be used. Once I met one of my teachers, I realized there was a way of using it. Uh, and and actually, behind the ener- the physical energy, there's there's a, a pleasant emotion. And so what the practice that involves using this energy requires that you first allow it to fully manifest, that you kind of release any struggle with it and just let it fill you and kind of hold you and, and maybe stabilize a little bit, but it's like you kind of kind of surf it, you know. And then when when it kind of gets very pervasive, so it's not just like jolts, but it's a pervasive radiant energy that you release the physical part and turn your attention to the emotion behind it, which is called sukha, which means joy. But it's meditative joy. And, it, and at that point, you're in an, it's somewhat of an altered state, but it's a... Uh, very pleasant and very stable uh, and pervasive. So if you're interested in knowing something about that, look at, uh, my teacher's name is Lee Brasington, L-E-I-G-H, and Brasington with an S, B-R-A-S-I-N-G-T-O-N. He has a book called the Buddha's jhanas, J-H-A-N-A. I hope they have it in here. They should. Um, he was trained by Jack Cornfield. He went through Jack Cornfield's teacher training, but that's not his original teacher. Um, and you know, if you want to talk to me afterwards, you can. I'll, you know, you can write it down. So. Thank you. Yeah. I hesitate to talk too much about that stuff because. People, uh, addicts go, I want that. (laughs) Where do I sign up for that? Uh, Yes. I had a question and I already have the microphone, so I'm just going to keep it. So there you go. (laughs) Um, I've really enjoyed what we're talking about, about kind of um, seeing things and seeing emotions or feelings and not getting caught up in them and letting them pass, and I understand that um, my question has to do with anger, and um, I feel like I used to drink at things or at people, and I would be really destructive when I was in that state, and and I've found a lot of trouble expressing anger in sobriety, and it, I think that it, I, a lot of times I think I'm letting it go or seeing it or what we were talking about, but I'm really mm-hmm. just suppressing it yeah. and um, stuffing it or and kind of like, or just trying to push it away. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could maybe talk about uh, and I and I, the other thing is that when I am, when I am angry, I feel 
some kind of comfort in that because my anxiety mm-hmm. goes away. Mm-hmm. It's like that's my counter to my anxiety. Right. It's also very uncomfortable. Right. <clears throat> so the yeah, you know, Buddhism is sort of offers this, and mindfulness offers something, an alternative to the um, suppressing versus expressing, which we think of as the two things that we can do with emotions, especially anger. And and there was a time, I don't think it's really common wisdom anymore, but there was a time when, when therapists encouraged people to let out their anger, and you even had... Um, What's the scream therapy called? Primal, Primal scream, or you know, punch a pillow or something. Um, and from a Buddhist viewpoint, whatever you act on, that reinforces that. So the Buddhist view is, if you okay, you're going to express your anger. It's actually just going to, you know, sustain that more. But on the other hand, suppressing it. Well, it's just going to come out in some other unhealthy way. So mindfulness says, first of all, you must feel. You must allow yourself to feel. But that doesn't mean you have to act on it. So you feel it without... The starting point is to feel fully without acting unskillfully or out of anger. And then to examine both the roots and the potential value or a potential or or the need for something to be communicated so oftentimes when there's anger it's and you look at it you realize oh something is being triggered in me you know some Fear, some ego, something defensiveness, or, or, um, or, but sometimes, you know, and in those things, you can often go, oh wow, I need to let this go because it's about me, it's not about what this person is doing. But then there are plenty of situations and experiences where it is about them, where something, someone's doing something unskillful or unkind to us, and you know, our anger needs to be the, the the cause of it needs to be addressed and that's where one of the most difficult things which is how do i communicate in a skillful way as the buddha said you know without harming and in a timely manner and honestly how do i do those three things when it's about something somebody has done that i'm angry about and that's where we have to really process and get to a point where, okay, I've allowed myself to feel it now, but right now I'm not caught in the rage. So I can speak calmly, but I understand that this is not okay, what this person has done, and I need to express that in a way that I think they'll be able to hear. I mean, it's one of the greatest challenges of all, because, you know, because even if you are really skillful and timely and honest, that you might, something might get triggered in them. 
you know, because if you're saying something you don't like about someone, so they might just come back at you, and that's a place where you really have to kind of stay open and loving, you know, and bring this kind of, they bring that. You know, one therapist I've worked with a lot talks about uh, asking yourself, what is your positive intention when you're speaking to someone? So when you when you express when you're telling somebody about some anger or something that you're angry about when you're talking about it with them to think what's my positive intention of telling them this you know if 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 I'm telling it them this to criticize them or get back at them you know that's not a positive intention that's a negative intention what do I what's the good that I would like to have come out of this and typically it's I would like them to understand me or I would like to bring harmony in this situation or something. You know, that's the type of positive intention, right? So you try to find your positive intention and then speak from there. Like, okay, what I'm going to say is going to help to get to that positive intention. And so you can see this is not easy and it's not something you can just do. It's, it's, you've got to take time and hopefully in that time, as I say, you know, the the rage or the... the as the heat of the of the anger will quiet enough so that you can communicate skillfully. So there you go. There, there's been a hand back in the back back for a while. It would be. I think the microphone would help. So if you don't mind, thank you. What is the fourth step? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We made a searching and fearless. Moral inventory of ourselves. Okay. Thank you. Now all you have to do is like reverse engineer the whole class, and then you'll get. Oh, that's what that was about. Yeah. I I I think I did say it or some of it before, but um, thank you for the reminder that I do need to uh, speak the step when I mention it. Yes. Can you describe a little bit about the Buddhist approach to the the moral? The word moral, or just yeah. a moral inventory? Yes, uh, we just have a few minutes, so I will, oh. I'll make that pretty simple. The, the Buddha didn't talk, talk about morality as an absolute. He talked about it mainly as regards suffering. So it's not so much about your good or bad, it's about what's causing suffering. But what he used as a framework is what we call the five precepts. And they are pretty familiar to, in our culture, not to kill, not to steal, not to lie or harm with our speech, not to harm others with our sexuality, you know, and not to use intoxicants that cloud the mind. That's the fifth precept, yeah. The, but... The fifth precept, not using intoxicants, is not considered to have the same uh, impact. The, the danger of the fifth, there isn't something inherently uh, damaging karmically about using an intoxicant. What's inherently damaging is becoming intoxicating and, and the results of intoxication. Like, because fundamentally because you tend to break all the other precepts when you're intoxicated. Which, when I look back on my own career, that was pretty much a given right there. So, so 
that's a good way to end it. And, and in a couple of my books, in fact, most of my books, I go through the precepts and I talk about various ways of working with them, using them as an inventory tool, as part of an inventory. I wouldn't consider them to be a, a complete uh, 12-step inventory because they're not personal that way. So let's just close with a little uh, loving-kindness. And maybe we'll do some loving-kindness for ourselves. So just uh, closing your eyes for a moment. Relaxing. And just feeling yourself right now. Feeling if there is any emotional turbulence, anxiety or sadness, anger, boredom. Or if there's something pleasant, calm, joy, love. And imagining that you are being held, imagining that you are a child in the arms of a trusted person, being held with love, safe, free from worries. May I be happy Just saying that to yourself. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I live with ease. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings live with ease. So, just let me mention that next month, I'm going to have a, a friend who's going to be teaching the class, and, and uh, I think you'll find it really interesting. She's in recovery. I don't think that's breaking her anonymity because she has a book she co-wrote with her husband called The Buddha's Wife, and she'll be talking about it, and it's really a great book, and it's about it's what they talk about, relational, relational practice, relational spirituality, and, that, and what they... Where they're coming from is out of 12-step work. The, she and her husband actually wrote the play about Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob. Her name is Janet Surrey. So she'll be here the second Friday of May. Um, and, uh, you know, pick up a flyer for the retreat in June. Uh, I will be back here in June. So be safe. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
www.ghostbusters.org slash donate.